This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today I'm joined with a special guest, David Tintner, CEO of Thought Leaders. And Thought Leaders is a sponsorship intelligence company. David, thanks so much for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you on here and talk a little bit about the struggles facing some of the direct-to-consumer brands today. But yeah, before we jump into all of the topics we have lined up, I'd love if you could just give a little bit of an intro about yourself and kind of what Thought Leaders does also. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for having me, Jerry. So like you said, Thought Leaders is a sponsorship intelligence company. We have an intelligence platform that shows where brands are purchasing sponsorships on YouTube, podcasts, and email newsletters. And from that information, you could do all sorts of really cool stuff. So what we've done in the company is we've actually built out our own media agency and our own talent management company inside of Thought Leaders that uses our own software to actually run media campaigns and to manage talent. I know you guys also deal with some direct-to-consumer companies as well, different brands. So I think it's great that we're getting to sit down and kind of talk about some of the struggles that brands have, especially, you know, even at Trend, we also work with direct-to-consumer brands. So we see a lot of brands that come in that are really heavy on performance marketing, like Facebook ads, all of that good stuff. But you know, that's definitely one way to scale, but there are other ways to scale. And sometimes, you know, putting all your eggs in ads can get a little bit difficult sometimes, especially if you're not seeing the return on ad spend that you're expecting based on your product. But yeah, really excited to have you on to talk about some of this stuff over here. And I think we can probably kick off maybe talking about some of the brands that you think are doing a really good job. And maybe let's let's kick off there and talk about some of the direct-to-consumer brands that are doing a really good job with their efforts right now. Well, like you mentioned, we're working with a bunch of direct-to-consumer brands. I have to say, when we started this, it wasn't that that wasn't like our goal was to focus on direct-to-consumer brands. But we realized pretty quickly that I think we offer a pretty and you guys too, a pretty special offering for this type of brand. And it kind of just sort of organically turned into it that, that I think that they have a real advantage in sponsorships. One of the challenges I think with direct-to-consumer brands is you have to find a way to grow scalably. I mean, we saw like, you know, the challenges with like Casper and Brandless and some, some direct-to-consumer brands that didn't really grow in a way that was scalable. And that was kind of like, I think early days of direct to consumer and things that probably are not going to, at least I hope are not going to run wild anymore like that with these kind of like arm scalable models. So, and there's also a lot more competition direct to consumer. So one of the major challenges is finding a way to get your return on ad spend down or to be able to at least find a way to grow, to market your product and be profitable in doing it, at least on a, a per unit basis. So sponsorships is one of the ways it's really interesting. And it just kind of, for us at least, it worked out that Tons of direct-to-consumer brands have started using sponsorships, especially on YouTube, podcasts as well, to grow. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, we see the same things as well in terms of a lot of brands, especially on the influencer and creator side, sponsoring a lot of content, using that as kind of a way to grow the brand just because it gets you that exposure. And then at least for us, 
brands also have that content to be able to reuse and kind of test. And I think that's the thing about performance marketing. That's also an important thing is like with ads, you want to also continue to keep optimizing your efforts there. It's not just like a, a set it and forget it thing. It's not like some magical formula that's going to help lead your business to success. And I think one great point that you made as well is talking about how it needs to make sense in terms of profitability for your brand. You're obviously spending money on maybe ads or some other form of sponsorship and things like that. But the money that you're spending there, you need to obviously be making back and maybe having a little profit margin on top of that. It can't just be like the Casper model, which is constantly running into the red just because, and no offense to Casper, because I think they did a great job building their brand. They they obviously, you know, they have a bunch of storefronts, brick and mortars and stuff like that now, which is pretty incredible for a brand that started out direct to consumer. But I think it is important to kind of lead first on that profitability at the beginning, because that's what's really going to help to drive the business to grow sustainably. Definitely. And I think that that's kind of what we're seeing in this latest wave of direct-to-consumer brands, especially the ones that are starting out now, is that they have to find a way from the beginning to do that. We work with a bunch of direct-to-consumer clients and, you know, ROAS is the big thing, right? The return on ad spend has to be positive. And I think talking on the point of, about Casper, I think another trend that we've kind of all seen, a pretty obvious one, is that even products that we didn't think could really be like subscription eyes, if that's a word, have basically been turned into subscription models in order to increase the lifetime value of the customer so that you can find a positive ROAS a lot quicker or easier. Because if you have a single purchase product, you're going to have to charge a lot of money in order to get positive ROAS. That's been a trend that's been, I think, really, really popular of late to turn your product into something that is, you know, a monthly recurring fee and increase lifetime value of the customer. Yeah, I think that was one of the problems that started out on the direct-to-consumer wave is, you know, that was the expectation is that, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of money on ads, I'm going to acquire some customers, and maybe I'm acquiring them at a loss. But my hope, my goal is that the lifetime value eventually catches up and kind of allows me to make a profit on that customer, I might be paying, my product might be maybe $15 and I'm paying $20, $25, $30 for customer acquisition for each different customer. But my hope is that they'll buy two or three times. And, you know, on that third purchase, maybe now I'm profitable. But obviously that's not always the case, especially now with so much competition out there. It's really tough to, first of all, establish your brand and then get repeat purchases. And yeah, I think the subscription option is a really great thing that helps brands get their return on ad spend faster. But you also have to get creative as well. In other ways, you can't also just put your eggs in that bucket as well. So from your perspective, what do you think are some of the other like innovative strategies that some brands are doing outside of just subscription? Actually, I came across one. I think I saw this yesterday. Toshi made a dating app. They call it a dating app for people who, who poop. Uh, I mean, Toshi direct to consumer product. That one's like pretty out there, but I mean, I picked this up because I think I saw an article in Forbes about it and there were a bunch of different mentions. So, I mean, that's just something we're seeing that the marketing strategies have to get really creative. You mentioned that at the beginning that it, it used to be just kind of like a set your Facebook ads and optimize it a bit. 
And that is not going to work anymore. I mean, you got to be really, really creative and really out there because competition is much higher. Ad inventory is also more expensive in some cases. So the Tushy thing is really cool. I mean, that's just an example that popped in my head I saw yesterday. Something else that's happening is that brands who are purchasing, who are building their strategies off of ads, are still doing so in such a way that they're building like ambassadors or, or basically the publishers who are doing those ads for them aren't just kind of like hired guns. They're actually starting to love the product. So Gymshark does this really, really well. We did a report in our platform recently comparing Gymshark versus some of the other uh, direct-to-consumer fitnesswear companies. And we saw that Gymshark, for example, is was not necessarily mentioned by the most number of different thought leaders or different channels, but their average number of times that someone mentions them was crazy higher than, than like a Lululemon or anyone else in that category. So that really stood out. And that's basically because they're getting people who, to yes, they're doing sponsorships or affiliate or, you know, they're proactively reaching out to these people, of course, but they're getting people who really love their product to be basically evangelists for their product. And I think that's something that's really important going forward, especially as competition increases. Yeah, I think you can never have too many evangelists. And I think one thing that you brought up that's really interesting, especially about Gymshark and some of these other direct-to-consumer brands that are seeing a lot of success and are even profitable is the fact that they do have some sort of unique brand that they've created. They put a lot of effort into creating their product and really outlining what the product features, benefits are over there. And I think that's what's really interesting. Like I see a lot of direct-to-consumer brands nowadays maybe taking some sort of product and just kind of like white labeling it, sticking on a different logo on the same product. I think that's where you kind of start to have to lean a lot more heavily on ads and can put you in a really difficult spot because if you don't see your ROAS as good as you're expecting over there, your return on ad spend just isn't there, then it can be really difficult to push forward. So I think having some sort of unique product and just doing a great job of building that brand is so important because brand recognizability is is everything. Everyone nowadays is posting on social media. Everyone wants to be part of like a cool brand and, you know, be a part of that community. It's really community focused efforts, but I think that that's so important over there. And I think you really hit on a great point over there, especially with Gymshark. They've done such a great job with a lot of that stuff. And even to the point about the evangelists, like it's so important to have those because especially if you pick the right ones and if you really get people excited about a product, they're going to, like you said, naturally post about it, keep talking about it. And it becomes like part of their everyday life almost. And that's really where you want to get to that level where you can make a product that really impacts the everyday because that's the product that's going to be seen the most, in my opinion. I just to piggyback on that point, I think something interesting that's also happening now is that the products that are being turned into DTC brands, especially new ones, are becoming more and more, let's say, like obscure products or niche products. But what the companies have done is made you think about it for a second and go like, wait a second, huh, maybe I could use that product, something I would have never thought about buying before. So you mentioned that companies are sometimes just like white labeling a product and, you know, and then putting like a nice brand around it. But I think that they're 
an important part of what they're doing is that they're also making you realize that you could be the audience for that product. I mentioned Toshi before, but I mean, that's a great example of just like an obscure product that I would have never thought of ordering a bidet, you know? And then all of a sudden they make you realize, oh, wait, you're the audience for the day. Huh. You know, I did Okay. And there's a bunch of examples like that of other companies that have kind of taken something that, that you just wouldn't have thought was a product that millennials would buy or just, you know, whatever category you know, or audience segment you fit into, that might not have been the thing that you would have thought. But then you realize that all of a sudden, oh, okay, yeah, this is a product I can buy. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's definitely a lot of value in that. And there are a lot of segments that, you know, people are sort of reinventing that you really don't think that you're surprised maybe even a little bit on how this is doing so successful. One that I think of too, you mentioned the bidet. I think of uh, Quip toothbrushes. I have one at my own house. They've done an excellent job in terms of marketing over there, taking something. Electric toothbrushes have been around for a while. It's not anything that's brand new into the space, but they've done such a great job of putting together the brand, you know, getting the right, the, even the smallest details right, that really creates not even just that whole brand experience, but I think what you hit on there is the user experience that's really important, right? We're always wanting to lean into a great user experience. And, you know, there might be a product that exists out there and maybe it is easy to use. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a little bit clunky, but user experience is really important. And I think that's a part that often gets left out of brands that don't become those big brands is that user experience. Like, how does that product make you feel? How does it improve like your daily benefit and stuff like that? I even think like I saw an ad online, I think a few weeks ago for some gym shorts that have like zipper pockets as well. Like that isn't really very innovative. I mean, it is innovative, but like people have been wearing gym shorts for a long time, but it's all about that user experience that can really help to elevate that product to the next level. Absolutely. That makes me think of Magic Spoon, direct-to-consumer cereal company. They're a great client of ours, and they are a great product because of exactly what you said. They just are meticulous with getting every detail perfect. Like, you look at the packaging, and you're like, oh, that's exactly how cereal should be packaged. You know, everything from the way the box looks to the design of it, the color scheme, the font is perfect, the taste they were messing around and trying to figure out the perfect taste for every flavor of cereal they have for a really long time until they got it down perfectly. And that's exactly the point is that, you know, if you were subscribing to a cereal company that the taste wasn't perfect, it wasn't amazing, there's, there's no room for error. You know, even if, if it's 80% good, you're going to leave, right? It needs to be like 100% perfect for that taste because you can get cereal in other places, right? Even like the nutrition facts, gluten-free, soy-free, like, you know, three grams of net carbs per box, like per serving, like every single detail is perfect. Because if it wasn't, if it was only 90% there, no one would buy it. I totally agree with you there. I mean, user experience is just so important on how making someone feel is something that really just can't always also be replicated to your point. Like, that's why there are competitors that do end up coming up in the space, but it is tough for them to break through because, you know, they might just be doing almost the same exact product, but they don't have the user experience down. And I think one important thing to get to that point is having 
a really close relationship and staying really close to the ground with your customers and just being able to, to lean in and understand what their preferences are and really making it a conscious effort to get the segmentation right. I think segmentation is really important. And that doesn't mean like it always has to be like age group or hobbies and stuff like that, but it can even be stuff like taste preferences. Like I've seen one company that really did a great job of getting this right originally was especially in like all these quizzes now that come out on these direct-to-consumer websites. Bright Sellers did a great job with wine, doing a great job having their quiz where it's kind of like based on what your taste preferences are. And you can kind of use that for customer feedback as well, right? If you're able to deliver a recommendation and maybe the recommendation doesn't hit the spot, you can kind of look back at that, look through reviews, look through maybe even contacting the customer and seeing like, hey, what didn't you like about this? And continue to just optimize those flows and really understand what needs to be elevated to make, to get that product from maybe you're at point B right now. Like you, you were at point A, you went to point B, but taking your product from point B to point C and really taking it to a new level because most brands just don't ever get there. I think that's actually a really good point and also a kind of another side effect of the subscription model, another amazing side effect of it. Not only are you increasing the lifetime value of the customer, right, the obvious side effect of the recurring revenue, but like you said, that you when you have someone who is actually subscribed and receiving your product on the same interval, you're able to stay in communication with them better. You're able to segment them better. You're able to really treat them like a SaaS product and actually you know, run customer service as if it's a SaaS product, but it's a packaged good. Yeah, I, I totally agree, especially to the point of the customer service piece. I think that's really important, just having someone that is responsive to those sort of things. Like you can't just ship the product and be like, that's the end of the customer journey. It has to be continuous because your goal should not be just to have that person buy once. Like sure, they buy once. And even if you're profitable on that first purchase, that's great. But what's really going to become the biggest driver for your business is retention and customers repurchasing, rebuying, especially over here, even at Trend, like, our model is kind of similar to an e-commerce model where, you know, our brands will, will make that initial purchase. But then where we really, where we really hit our sweet spot is when brands come back and repurchase and want to work with creators again and do the same campaign or a different campaign again. And kind of provides, first of all, that validation of the product and says like, Hey, this is obviously a product that people want to use, but also it really opens the door then to even more customer feedback and really understanding exactly what your product users want. And I think you summed it up well, like it is kind of running like a SaaS company, honestly, the way a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands have been built. You guys are also looking for to see that a brand is going to work with a creator over and over again. And that's where it starts to get interesting. And that's actually one of the things that we track most and like, one of the biggest signals that we have if a sponsorship is working for a brand is if they're repeating over and over. It's like that in any business. I mean, their renewal is the thing. The cool thing I think about working with creators is that you can actually, if you're trying to find a creator that you think would be a good one for you, you can actually look at who's repeated or who's actually, like you said, basically renewed with that creator and if those brands are similar to your brand, like business model or in category, price point, 
then you can actually have some kind of indication of if you're likely to find success for them as well. Yeah, definitely. That's so true over there. That's a great point as well, kind of leading into your figuring out your target market essentially and figuring out who is the best and ideal customer is exactly like to your point. I think that's really important. So I want to ask you as well, I know we've talked a lot about some of the things that direct-to-consumer brands that are leading the space are doing and some of the pitfalls that we've seen previously. What are some of the exciting trends you're looking forward to in direct-to-consumer? Well, something that's really specific to our business that I'm very encouraged and happy to already see starting is that the brands are thinking about, let's say they're marketing, their advertising in a, much more around branded content and something that feels native, that feels natural. They're trying to find thought leaders or channels to work with that really fit the type of content that their audience would care about. And it's less about like bombarding you with an ad that you can't skip through or that you know you, you have to click past and more about finding a way to work themselves into the narrative that's already happening in a natural way. I think some brands are, do, are starting to do a really great job in the purchasing sponsorships from, from different channels, but some brands are also doing a great job creating their own channels or creating their own content pieces. They've almost turned into like media companies or media agencies themselves. So I'm excited to watch this trend grow. I think that that could be really cool as it expands outside of, let's say, like social media and into things like the streaming world, TV, movies, I guess just advertising everywhere, even out of home. Seeing these direct-to-consumer brands, I don't know, just really feel like they're a natural fit in whatever you're doing or whatever you're, you're already consuming. Yeah, I think one that's really interesting for me is especially, so obviously, you know, a lot of brand growth pre-streaming had been based off of also television ads being really big. And obviously, you know, less people are using television, like the, the traditional TV nowadays, right? A lot of people are streaming and all of that stuff. And I think what's really interesting there, and I think there's a lot of potential for brand growth, is especially at like talking about something like, I think I'll jump into the user-generated content piece in a second, but I think this is really interesting, especially like streaming ad placements are so unique because of the fact that you know, unlike traditional TV, like traditional TV, you don't always know who the person watching the TV is. Like you might have some information on them, but you don't have a ton of like user information in terms of like, what have they watched recently? What other things are they interested in? And there's a lot of customer data that's built in over there. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see in the next few years how people take TV ads on streaming. I think it's going to be incredibly interesting just because you are able to on like things like, especially like Hulu is the one that I think of a lot because they do have an ads option as well, like a Hulu with ads. And that targeting can be so specific, right? You're able to see like what that person's viewed before, what maybe, and try and figure out, and Hulu is doing such a good job of trying to figure out that segment of what that customer profile looks like and just being able to get that much more targeted. I think that's what's really important, right? Especially with Facebook ads. And they were really the first champion in this. And now obviously, you know, people are on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff. But what Facebook ads did really good was being able to know where your dollars are spent. Like, you know that, hey, I want to target someone in age 20 to 35 or something like that. Like I want to target someone with 
interests X, Y, and Z, which you couldn't really do on a billboard. You couldn't really do on traditional TV. So I think it's going to be really interesting there. And then to your other point, something that a lot of brands are also starting to figure out is that user-generated content, that authentic piece that I think is really interesting. I think TikTok is really leading the way in that sense where, you know, if you've ever scrolled through a TikTok feed, the ads, most for the most part, come across as native to the platform. It doesn't seem like, you know, it just sticks out like a sore thumb with that huge sponsored thing and a big call to action button. But I think that's really the future of content, right? Because that content makes you less likely to scroll through stuff, less likely to just skip it. And the whole goal around ad content is to be able to engage with it. So I think when you're able to create content that's native to the platform and something that people are already kind of like looking for on that platform when they open their app is something that's really great because they're more likely to pay attention to that. So I think that's really interesting there too. To your point about targeting getting better and better and maybe even being able to target on platforms in the future that you're not really able to target well today. I think you're right that that's going to be the trend, right? That everything is going to get more and more targeted. On a personal level, I kind of hope it doesn't. Like, I kind of hope that we don't go so heavy on this, like, following you and targeting you and trying to, like, subconsciously seep into your brain that you should be buying something. And that brands and marketers still do things just because it's cool or just because, you know, maybe people will love it and don't have to track every single thing. That's not to say that um, I don't believe that attribution is important, of course. And I definitely think that knowing where your money is spent, of course, is super important. I just feel like we've kind of, we live in this world that kind of like overcorrected too much. And like now everything is like only about the data, only about tracking to the point where we kind of sometimes lose the fact that like, it's okay to do things that are just, that are cool or that might be awesome. And people will see it and people will love it if you do a really good job with it. And then they'll remember your brand. And it might not click that button on the second that, you know, the thing was there. It might not even be a button. But maybe a year from now, their friend's going to tell them about this thing they just purchased. They're going to go, oh, yeah, I remember that. And they're going to have this great kind of connotation of your brand in their mind because of that thing you did. I hope that we don't go too far away from that. I went to a really cool conference in January called Brand Storytelling. And the whole conference was brands telling stories that are kind of in unconventional ways or maybe sponsoring, I'm doing a quote unquote sponsoring here, a feature length film or documentary. And I'm doing kind of like air quotes around sponsoring because it's not the kind of thing where the brand is saying like, this thing is sponsored by, you know, five seconds, you can't skip the ad. It's a brand like, um, I saw a great example of REI, basically funded a feature length film that was about someone who was transsexual and into like outdoors and hiking. And it was a feature length documentary that we watched at the, con- the conference. It was amazing. I mean, it was, a, it was like an hour long and went into his whole life story, her whole life story, and basically how she faced a, a lot of hardship growing up and then started this, this community of people that are into outdoors. And it had nothing to do with REI. They weren't like, you know, wearing REI merchandise and it wasn't like, you know, sponsored by REI everywhere you look, but they funded this film and, you know, you see that and then at the end of the day, you're like, huh, that's a good brand. Now, just at the very end, there was something that said, okay, REI funded this. Like, that's a good brand. You know, that's something that sticks out in your mind. You're like, all right, I like this company. 
I don't know, I didn't go right this second and run and purchase something from their website. But I have a really good connotation now of the brand in my head. And maybe, I don't know, a year from now, I'll be passing a store and I'll be thinking like, yeah, you know what, I want to I want to go inside. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing to try and do as well. And I think that's a great example. But it's also so hard for those brands to, it's basically trying to like, you know, you can't quantify the way that someone feels when they interact with a product. So, and you have to let those experiences still occur. And I think that's, that to your point, I think that's what's really important as well. Like having those experiential moments are still so important. Like, yeah, you might not be able to quantify and say like this person hit add to cart or this person checked out or something like that. But it's still important to, to building a brand because like you said, brand recall is something that's really important as well. And brand recall doesn't always have to happen from ad placement. And sometimes I would, I would argue at, at least on a personal level that it's definitely stronger when it doesn't happen on an ad level. When I have some sort of experience, like in real life, not in the digital world with a brand. And I'm able to say like, oh yeah, I remember that experience. Like I remember when that brand helped me out or that brand gave me a new perspective or something like that. And I think that's incredibly important. Absolutely. So anyway, I hope that's something that doesn't disappear with this whole world of, you know, more and more things becoming a, attributable and and tracking everywhere. Great point there. And thanks for calling that out as well. I know we've dived into a lot of topics over here. So it's been great kind of talking about different things about direct to consumer and kind of nerding out on that. I don't have any other points that I want to cover over here. What about you, David? Anything else that you've got? (laughs) No, I think you asked some great questions. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun talking with you about it. I think this is a really cool area to be in. And I think that it's advancing really fast. Direct-to-consumer brands are changing like crazy. So it's definitely going to be fun to watch and see what happens. And I feel like since this pandemic started, everything has kind of been thrown into like this rocket ship of like advancing and iterating way faster. That's definitely sped up innovation. Excited to see what happens, you know, what will be uh, a year from now, what we'll be talking about. I think the trends will be completely different. And, you know, a lot of the hot brands that we mentioned today, I, I hope, They'll still be around, but I'm sure there'll be new ones too. Yeah, super excited to see what the future holds, especially in direct-to-consumer. It's only going to continue to grow. But David, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate having you on here to to talk about and nerd out about direct-to-consumer. Always fun to do. Before we wrap up, I do want to give you the opportunity to kind of say where people can learn a little bit more about thought leaders and what you guys do. Thanks. So check out thoughtleaders.io if you want to learn more about us. Feel free to contact me as well. And what we do, I mean, like we said, basically sponsorship intelligence. So we track where brands are sponsoring content and YouTube, podcasts, email newsletters. And then we have a whole intelligent suite that lets you dive into that and understand like which brands repeated that content, which brands are trying out new strategies. And everything's in real time. So that is updated, you know, constantly changing. And basically, you can track trends, track the competitors. That's awesome. Well, yeah, if you're interested in Thought Leaders, go check out thoughtleaders.io. We'll have some links for that in the show notes over here. But once again, David, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really appreciated having you on here. And for everyone that's listening, thanks for tuning into the DTC pod. And we will see you next time.